these cooling blankets, these weighted blankets where you're kind of separating what your needs are from your partner, getting the pets out of the room and doing the sleep holiday from your partner, or at least recognizing that they need to be evaluated for sleep apnea or restless legs, I think is really important discussion because I think it's just one of those things that is just, this is just the way it is and we're just going to put up with it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Wellness, a podcast sponsored by the Columbia Association. I'm Harry Oaken, a community physician for over 35 years and the medical director for the Columbia Association. I'm very happy to be working with the Columbia Association for over a decade to help assist in their mission to improve the health and wellness of our community. It's my pleasure today to introduce a return guest. I think this is appearance number three, and uh, we keep asking her back because she's so good. Dr. Jothi Rayo is a trusted and accomplished colleague. She's been practicing medicine for over 25 years. She received her medical degree from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey and completed her internship and residency at Tufts New England Medical Center in Boston. She's a strong proponent of total holistic care, and she's certified in medical acupuncture from UCLA. In addition, she has a master's degree in metabolic nutrition from the University of South Florida, She's also board certified in internal medicine as well as anti-aging medicine. She's the co-author of a book and a, and a cookbook called Body on Fire, Your Guide to Eating Plant Foods that Fight Disease. Today, we are going to have a discussion about sleep. It's such an important part of your daily routine. We spend about a third of our lives sleeping. Getting quality sleep and getting enough of it at the right time is essential for your health. Without sleep, you can't perform or maintain the pathways in your brain that are important for functioning. If you're not getting sleep, it's hard to be creative. It's hard to actually have and develop healthy new memories. It's hard to concentrate and respond quickly. Sleep is important to a number of brain functions, including how the neurons communicate with each other. And keeping in mind your brain and body are remarkably active during sleep. It's amazing what goes on during sleep. Sleep is when we do our internal housekeeping. Toxins are removed from your brain while you are asleep. And everyone needs good sleep so that they can become healthy. A chronic lack of sleep or having poor quality sleep increases the risk of disorders, including high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease, cancer risk and diabetes, depression, and obesity. So today we're going to learn more about sleep. Welcome, Dr. Rayo. Thank you for having me. So first... <laughs> I love sometimes when you talk about to me how when patients come in and they talk about, you ask them how they're doing and you find out how fatigued they are. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, the fatigue is a such a prevalent issue with probably 90% of people that come to see me, whatever they're coming for, whether it's abdominal pain or cardiac risk, whatever it is, it seems to be a part of everyone's compilation of symptoms. And I just find that it's so important to address the fatigue first and foremost, because the lifestyle tools that I want to give them to help them rectify whatever they're coming in for in terms of their initial issue is almost impossible if they're too tired to make the initiatives. Um, so because I focus so much on lifestyle, I feel like the getting to the root cause of their fatigue is is it's very different for each person. So aside from, you know, normal sleep disturbance, which I think, like you said, is so critical, I always start with sleep mental health, the role of anxiety, the role of um, depression, 
the role of the worries that we have about the world situation, that can really deplete our resources that can make us feel body fatigue, but it's actually mental. Uh, because most people are sitting sedentary to sedentary, that can increase their fatigue. So other things are, you know, if they're anemic or if they have thyroid issues. But another big area that I see a lot of fatigue stem from is hormone disturbance. And that's insulin resistance, and as well as, you know, things like sex hormones. So when women go through menopause or andropause for men, the thyroid obviously is important, but there are so many other hormones in our body that come back to the gut microbiome and other things that we can man manipulate with lifestyle. But I think the recognition of the reason they're tired is also really important so that we can kind of fine tune, you know, what to do about it, whether their medications making them tired, like an antihistamine or an antidepressant or beta blocker. Um, mental health issues, or even things that are immune based, right? We're seeing a lot of chronic fatigue now post COVID. So there's, there's different workups for the fatigue I see, but I, I feel like sleep is a big part of it. But if we don't address the fatigue part, it's hard to get people motivated to make the change that we want. So in terms of sleep, as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's one of the key pillars for, for helping us age gracefully. How much sleep should we get? Uh, I think it's between about seven to nine hours for most adults. And I think it changes a little bit um, once people get into, I guess, 65 plus. But most of the time, it's seven to nine hours. And it's not just about being in bed. It's about restorative sleep, going through your stages of sleep, one through four stage and REM cycle, which are critically important to continuously go through versus I wake up because I have to go to the bathroom. I'm in bed for 10 hours, but I'm waking up every two hours to go to the bathroom. You keep breaking your cycles of sleep. So you're never getting through that full four stages and REM. You need to do that about four times during the course of a night in order to be waking up refreshed or re restored. And a lot of people have, you know, devices now that like an aura ring um, that they can watch their sleep patterns. It's not perfect. It's not like sitting in a sleep lab, but it's good information for people to also know what their lifestyle choices. Oh, I worked out tonight too close to bedtime and now I'm not sleeping well. So it kind of helps them understand that their sleep is uh, sleep patterns are so essential to daily patterns. And, you know, I always say that a sleep routine, a morning routine always starts with your sleep and a sleep routine always starts with what you're doing in the morning, the, during the day, right? You can't just shut off a light switch and say, I'm going to bed now if you're running at hundred miles an hour. So the whole day is related and it's nice to know what refreshed sleep looks like so people can understand because I get people all the time saying, oh, I don't have a problem with my sleep. But when you talk about how many times they wake up because of pain, because their partner snores, because they have to go to the bathroom, you know, those are the things we have to work on individually. And they could also have a medical problem like restless leg syndrome or sleep apnea. Yeah. So the sleep routine and sleep hygiene, as well as like the reason they're not sleeping is very important. So the distinction about you can be horizontal and not get sleep or not get good sleep is important for people to understand. We really want people to actually fall asleep, get through three to four cycles of sleep and have that sleep cycle being really restorative, which is a right. trick. I know for my patients, it's uncommon for people to say I'm sleeping great. It's yeah. uncommon. Well, I think it's also like fatigue. It's just part of your day to day and yeah. you don't even know what good feels like because right. it's just the way you've been. Yeah. And I know when I was younger, I felt like my sleep was so much better. And I'd get up in the morning and I go, really ready to go. Not now, even though I get six and a half to eight and a half hours of sleep a night. Well, 
you had mentioned about all the different things that can affect sleep. You said you you started to say you don't want to be riled up when you before you go to sleep. So in other words, don't exercise before sleep too closely. There's lots of good things we can do to promote sleep. But before we actually talk about that, you also mentioned let's go over the anatomy of sleep. You know mm-hmm. how it starts and what a cycle of sleep looks like. So I think that it is really good to be kind of in a calm state. So if we're in a beta active state, our brain waves are kind of reading the email or watching the news, which is the worst, or kind of like getting through work till till we close that iPad and then close our eyes. That's just not going to work because you're not inducing the alpha waves and then the theta waves and the delta waves that you need to kind of transition into a deeper sleep. So just the calming nature of kind of lowering the energy and trying to get us into stage one and two and three, because our our brain waves change as the stages go through and deeper sleep can happen if we can allow for stage one to evolve into stage two, and then go into REM where we see rapid eye movements and sometimes muscles jerking. But we used to think that REM coming at the end of stage four was the most important for memory, but it looks like everything is really important. Even stage three and four is important. So that transition of all of the stages but calming your brain down so you're not going from beta activity, which right. is hyper-focused, going into that and adrenaline, right? So we don't want adrenaline. So there's a lot of hormones that play a role in sleep. Melatonin is our sleep hormone. Cortisol tends to be our wake-up hormone. But there's also a hormone called adenosine that is building up as the day goes on. So for people who kind of need a nap in the day, it's fine if you are not busting that valve of adenosine, which is the one that kind of comes around and then just helps us to kind of create such a pressure that we fall right asleep. But if we're taking multiple naps during the day, then sometimes some people have an issue where they don't have enough adenosine built up to kind of fall asleep. It's not just about melatonin. And that's why with with lots of people, when they take melatonin, it doesn't work because it's not the only game player. It's, right. There's a lot of other things involved. So I think that the context of cold room, dark, quiet, you know, sometimes I have people wear um, an eye mask. It's not great all the time, but it's, it's at least it lets them know why that the light is the issue for them not sleeping. Maybe they can make the room darker, get shades that really cover it. But temperature being like 65 to 68 is also really helpful to induce a sleep and, and a restorative state. Um, I'm not sure what the data is with that, but I think there's definitely some information on the colder the temperature, the better it is for. I've read um, 68 or less is where you want to be. Yeah. And interestingly, concerning that, what I sometimes tell people who have lots of difficulty falling asleep is actually a hot shower or hot bath before 30 minutes before actually drops your body temperature so that when you do get into bed, your core temperature, even though you've heated it up, kind of overcompensates and you're actually cooler when you get into bed and that can help. And I do want to also say, so stage one is what we used to call doze sleep, right? You sit in a chair and it feels kind of good, but there's no restoration there. You have to get into deeper sleep, two, spindle sleep, three or four to get that. Um, And that's when everything, that's where the real housekeeping, I guess, starts. And if you were looking at EEGs, as you were saying, that when we're awake, it's those fast waves. And then we start to get into doze sleep. It's still a little fast. And then I think we have those spindles and then we get into alpha, theta and delta wave sleep, which is where we want to be. So you you had mentioned you'd like to get four of those cycles. Each cycle lasts about, what, 60, 80 minutes, something like that? Yeah, 60 so, minutes yeah. at least. So, you know, you can see that there is uh, more of a sacrifice of REM as the night goes on. 
Right. So some people say, you know, I got four hours and I went through my whatever cycle allocation. But the issue really is, is did you get enough REM? Did you get enough of the components that actually are required? And they change in duration as the night goes on. So it's important to get the full seven to nine hours. And there are some people, I will say, there are chronotypes that basically are morning people or later later in the day people. But in general, if you're waking up refreshed between seven to nine hours, that's good. I will occasionally meet a person that's six hours, they feel great, there's nothing wrong with them metabolically, fine, great. But for the general person, a goal of seven to nine continuous hours is really important. And there's that rare person that has that orexigen gene that really needs very, very little sleep. We all know usually people like that. They get four or five hours of sleep and they function yeah. perfectly. And that's where some of these medications that affect orexigen, Belsomra, there's two others that probably are helpful for those types of people who just can't, they don't really cause sleep, but they decrease wakefulness. Right. Um, back to the um, sleep cycling. One thing I've seen that affects sleep is, I wonder if you'll comment on this. Some people go to bed too early, like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, and they constantly are waking up, you know, at three o'clock in the morning and say that they have insomnia when really they probably need an adjustment of when they're going to sleep. Have you seen that? Yeah. So I think it's important to know the chronotrope of the person. Um, I think that changes. It's genetic but it can change as we get older, like the teenagers are more alert in the, you know, at night. And then as we grow older, it starts to change. But intrinsically, we all have some sort of a chronotrope, which can be passed down genetically. So the issue for that for each person is sometimes they have to go to bed because their job starts at three or four in the morning right. and or something crazy where their kids are waking up or something like that. But they're, they're probably fighting their chronotrope, which is the fact that there are people who need to sleep at 10 and get up a little bit later. There's questionnaires online. Um, and I'll try to find which which Sleep Academy website has it, but you can kind of type in, uh, answer some questions, and it tells you what kind of chronotrope you are, so that if you had flexible schedules for work, you could request because you will definitely be more efficient mm -hmm. if you are going along the path that your chronotrope suggests, mm -hmm. including when you work out, and when you don't, you know, so some people can work out and drink a cup of coffee right before bed and it doesn't bother them. Mm -hmm. Right. So these are the things of variables that we can't kind of cross the board, tell everyone. But if you know that that's a problem, then I think that you should be able to adjust your sleep cycle. Now, what I've found is you can't adjust it from I will go to sleep, can't go to sleep at eight. So I'm going to go to sleep at 10. You have to adjust it in 30 minute in increments because your body still won't sleep. And there's a whole behavioral modification of sleep issues where they're doing restriction of time in bed so that you're not sitting in bed and it's not creating this phobia or anxiety or fear because you're staring at the ceiling or you're staring at your clock for two hours. It creates a whole sleep anxiety, um, which is also very not, not helpful. That's great information. The other two things that we you, you touched on that I wanna make some comments about is first, this accumulation of adenosine. And I know, you know, a lot of people, one of the ways we now understand caffeine works, right, is by pushing off adenosine for the receptors on brain cells, it makes us more alert. One of the things to remember is caffeine has a pretty long half-life. So yeah. if you like a cup of coffee in the afternoon, the half-life is five to eight hours. Half that caffeine may be around, you know, later at night and may be hard for you to get to sleep. And the way it's working, we now understand, is the accumulated adenosine. 
which I think is just fascinating. We never knew that until recently. Um, yeah. And also, you know, chocolate, mm -hmm. uh, green tea, you know, things that are seem like, you know, dark chocolate is something I tell a lot of people to take for cortisol, adrenals mm -hmm. and magnesium. But if you take it too close to bedtime, it can also keep you from sleeping. So it's just right. important to pay attention to things that are stimulatory. Based on your genes, I know there's fast metabolizers and slow metabolizers for caffeine, which is why every so often you'll see somebody have an espresso shot and sleep like a baby. But again, it's genetic and kind of have to listen to what your body tells you. And then there are certain foods that contain tyramine. Yes. You know, that may, may affect you. Alcohol as well. Right. So yeah. the thing that is confusing about alcohol is that, you know, it acts on the GABA receptors initially, making people feel calm and relaxed. And so the thought is that it would help promote sleep. But as it metabolizes, it can increase glutamate and also cause agitation. And so some people wake up at four o'clock in the morning and can't get back to sleep, two o'clock in the morning, can't get back to sleep. So and it depends on the alcohol, red wine versus, you know, something else. But so it's really important to identify those triggers and not just like brush them under the rug because sleep is, I think, the first thing that's sacrificed for most people when they're stressed. It's the first thing to go and it's not prioritized. But it is so important for all those things you listed for cardiovascular, for neurodegenerative issues to prevent those things for cancers, for glucose metabolism. So I always talk about sleep in my first appointment with anyone because I really feel like it's the tie in for a lot of these illnesses we see in internal medicine. I totally agree. Now, let's uh, you mentioned already melatonin, a powerful hormone that we make in our bodies, but you can also take it as a supplement. Give us your guidance on that. So I actually check levels um, for some people on hormones. If they're if they're having significant insomnia, we're looking at melatonin levels, some salivary. And it's not always the problem. Sometimes the problem is the cortisol curve that we're looking at. Cortisol is your wake-up hormone. It's supposed to peak in the morning and come down as the day goes on. And it just doesn't go low enough at night for a lot of people, whether they're exercising, they're eating sugary foods, whatever it is, they're watching the news. It, it doesn't, I don't know what the reason is, but it tends to prevent sleep from occurring or the adenosine. So the melatonin absolutely is a big player, it comes from the pineal gland, and it is very important. It is sensitive to circadian rhythms. So it helps when you go out in the morning. Again, sleep routines can start during the day. So if you see a lot of sunlight during the day, you can get better melatonin at night, not looking at your tablet and your phone and stimulatory things can also help with the light that's on your eyes with the blue light. Those are nice protocols. And I usually start from one to three milligrams if we're going to try it. I go up to six milligrams for some people who have reflux issues because actually it can help. And there is also an immune modulatory effect of melatonin that sometimes I'll go higher. But for most people, I'll stick to one to three milligrams regular, not sustained release, because what I get from some people is that they wake up and they feel drugged or they feel groggy. Um, one, they may not be giving themselves enough time to sleep because it's usually gearing you for an eight hour sleep or two, it's not the answer or the wrong version. So for people who have wake up in the middle of the night, you may, they may want to try a sustained release version of it. But the other big hormone to look at is cortisol. Are you driving your cortisol too high in the morning and the night? to, you know, wake up, causing you to wake up. And hypoglycemia seems to be a big cause. When people are, you know, eating ice cream at night, whatever it is that's very sugary, their insulin's up, and then a couple hours later, they're plummeting. So, and that wakes them up, they're not even aware of it. But we catch these things when we're doing 24-hour cortisols on patterns for people. 
And also the CGMs are looking at that. The continuous mm -hmm. glucose monitors are really helpful for people to watch their sugars. And sometimes people are waking up with really high morning glucose. And that could be a cortisol issue and also what they're eating the night before, a late right. night snack. So if they, it's, it's interesting because the snack you eat at night, I prefer people not to eat before bedtime. I prefer time-restricted uh, feeds in terms of having longer fasting hours. But for some people, eating a handful of nuts or almonds or walnuts before they go to bed gives that sustained glucose response and they sleep better. And I think that that's individualized, but yeah. that's also a nice uh, tool that's helped some people. Yes. Speaking about foods uh, that may be helpful with sleep. So there are some foods that have an awful lot of melatonin in it, like tart dried cherries, but you have to be careful with the, with the dried, with the dried fruit because it's often reasonably hyperglycemic yeah. or high, high glycemic. Melatonin also, as you alluded to, at a higher dosage has an incredible anti-inflammatory effect. And in fact, you know, when COVID was raging, people who had active COVID were being given 10 milligrams twice a day of melatonin for a short period of time. But there's quite a lot of variability in supplements for melatonin. So you have to get a reputable brand. We know that. Right. And I too started a very, when I give people melatonin, I give them a very, very low dose. 0.5 to 1 milligrams, try to find a good brand, maybe even a, uh, a sustained release brand so that so that they don't peak up and then fall down. And to your point about the cortisol, so yeah, cortisol levels bottom out around 3.30, 4.30 in the morning. And so I've often found from my patients who say, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. And then finally, you know, 4.30 rolls around and I get into dead sleep. They're then at their cortisol nadir and they finally can get to sleep. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, if you're in a fight or flight situation, your cortisol levels are high, uh, your your adrenaline levels are high, your catecholamines. And unfortunately, people run around in today's world with their sympathetic system is turned on. And it's so hard for them to calm down and find uh, some peace so that they can settle into sleep. There was uh, one other thing I wanted you to comment on. Oh, that's, I remember what it is. So we were talking about, you know, how your partner may actually interfere with your sleep. So one of the things that's hit lately has been this idea of a sleep divorce, where your partner is so distracting, you can't get into good sleep. Any comments yeah. about that? No, I think it's a big problem. Also, pets in the bed mm -hmm. is a big problem. And so uh, I just find that's where the priority of sleep issues come in where people just kind of put up with stuff and kind of live through it. But I think it's important to recognize that sleep should be a priority. And if, and I think the partner should get medical evaluation if they're snoring or if they have restless leg or, you know, a lot of things that are common is that the temperature of the room for, yeah. especially for a woman who's going through menopause. I mean, I can personally speak. I, it's, I want it at 65 <laughs> and it's freezing for the, for my partner. Right. So my husband doesn't like it that, that cold, but these cooling blankets, these weighted blankets where you're kind of separating what your needs are from your partner, getting the pets out of the room and doing the sleep holiday from your partner, or at least recognizing that they need to be evaluated for sleep apnea or restless legs. I think is really important discussion because I think it's just one of those things that is just, this is just the way it is. And we're just going to put up with it right. kind of thing. Um, it's so important that is, you know, the, of the pillars that keep us aging well, sleep is right up there. But I think also, you know, I always talk about, you know, people say, well, what's the most important thing? Well, the most important thing in my opinion 
is controlling stress. How are you in a, in a less stress situation? You eat well, you sleep well, you exercise well, you have, you avoid toxins and you work on getting good restorative sleep. Well, this has been terrific. A pleasure to have you again. Thanks for joining us. And Thank you. Thanks to our audience for listening and thank you to the Columbia Association for sponsoring Finding Your Wellness. This is Dr. Harry Okin for Finding Your Wellness. We are Dragon Podcasts. Connect with us at podbean.com slash dragonpodcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.